Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Appreciate you guys letting me share this message today. Not that I didn't put a whole lot of time in it for last week, but the Holy Spirit had other plans, I guess. That's okay. Actually, I, uh, you know, we get into those moments like we did last week, into those places. Um, you know, I would much rather not get up here and, and, and interrupt what the Holy Spirit is doing. You know, this, in the scripture in Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah talks about the times when the Lord says that uh, we won't need to teach each other, that he'll teach us. And, um, and so sometimes we come into these moments where the Lord says, actually, what I really want you to do is just get out of the way. And we, um, as pastors and as leaders, we step aside and say, uh, Lord, it's your time to minister. And sometimes the Lord just says, I, I don't need you for this one. This time I'm going to minister to my people. And that's exactly what he does. And, and, and we, we're so thankful to, uh, to have a leadership team that's willing to step aside. There's no pride in here um, or anything like that. We're more than willing to step aside and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Uh, I just, uh, just honor Logan and her worship team for staying up there last week the whole time, for finding that moment and being willing to just stay right there, stay put in it. Man, that's, that's really awesome. I was... Uh, I was up here last week in worship, and I was just kind of kneeling down right up here, and uh, I had this feeling that I've never had before where I, I felt like, like the room was spinning. Like, um, I don't think I've ever passed out before, but that's how I would imagine it to be, is it felt like I was going to pass out, like the room was spinning around me. And I got up, and uh, to be honest with you, I was, said, I need to go pee because they might just throw me up here, and, and I had to get that out of the way. And so I go back and Pastor Ben catches me before the outside door and he says, I just had this vision and, and it was this whirlpool and the Lord was saying, I'm stirring the waters. And I was literally up here on the floor having this, this physically feeling what the Lord is doing, what the Lord is showing him is happening. And I had not told him that. I was like, you're not going to believe this, but I was just up there on the floor and I, could, I felt what you just seen happening. And, uh, I just think that's amazing. And, and, you know, me and my son, it made me think of this. Me and my son recently we made a, a, a rocket out of a water bottle. And we put uh, a cork on the end of a water, bo- a water bottle and we poured a baking soda and vinegar in it. And then you shake it up and set it down and the water bottle explodes up into the air. And I don't measure stuff because I don't have the patience for that kind of stuff. So I just dump a bunch in and then I cork it and see what happens. And I would set it up, and then I'd sit there for a while, and nothing would happen. And, um, and then I would have to go, and I wouldn't take the cork off and pour any more in. All I would do is I would pick it up, and I would shake it, and sometimes it would explode in my hand and make a mess and fly out of my hand. But I, I think that what, the, what we were experiencing last week is sometimes what the Holy Spirit does is he actually comes in, and he says, I don't have to actually uncork this thing and add anything to what's already here. All I need to do is I need to re-engage what's already inside of you. And, and so when the Lord is stirring the waters, he's not saying, listen, I have to add something to this in order to make it significant or in order for my spirit to move. I've actually already put my spirit inside of you. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to re-engage the, the reaction that's inside of you. I'm going to re-engage the faith and the hope that's inside of you. And, um, and we find those little, those little moments where the Holy Spirit starts to minister to us and he starts to shake up and re-engage what's already inside of us. And we just stay there. And, uh, and that's awesome. That's awesome. 
Um, I just, I just have, I have a feeling. I don't know if you guys heard. You've probably seen on on Facebook or social media. There's just this this revival that's breaking out down in Kentucky at this college, and I just think it's funny because we just had this moment last week, and this this college, Asbury College in Kentucky, this small Christian school, they started a, a simple one hour worship service on Wednesday at 10 a.m. that was supposed to go to 11 a.m. and it's still going on. <laughs> still going, it's still happening, and people are getting bussed into this, um, um, into this place and into this atmosphere, and all it is is just worship. It's, it's funny, the Lord just stirs up in our hearts a, 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 a heart of worship. He stirs up in our spirits worship, and it actually just brings everything into alignment for us. And uh, that's the places where, where things, uh, things get done. That's where, those are the places where the Lord says, I'm getting things done. I'm accomplishing things here. And, and we just need to step aside and, and let it happen. So I'm thankful to have a, a team and a church here that is willing to step into the weird sometimes and just let the Holy Spirit minister. Before we get into this message, let me just pray real quick. Lord, we love you. Holy Spirit, we turn over this time to you. We turn over our ears to you. Turn over my voice to you, God. Whatever that you want to accomplish today here, God, we, uh, we are completely yours, submitted to you. Whatever your Holy Spirit wants to say, whatever your Holy Spirit wants to do, we are yours, Lord. This, this building is yours, Lord. And, and, and anything that you want to accomplish uh, in this building today, you have the, the ability and you have the freedom to do it, Lord. We will uh, just be your vessels today, God. And we pray for every person that not only is sitting in the sanctuary, but every person that's going to step foot in this building today, Lord, that they would feel your presence, that they would feel as if they're walking into uh, your glory cloud, Lord, that you've invited us into. We just thank you, Lord, that your glory still breaks through into the natural, that we still get to experience physically, tangibly experience your glory, Lord. And we just thank you for that, Lord. We... Uh, we invite you here today. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, my message title today is, is Ears to Hear. And um, there's a phrase that's repeated throughout the book of Revelation. And specifically through the first couple chapters, John's writing to these seven churches. At that time, the churches were, um, they kind of, uh, or had had uh, reign over an area, essentially. So if, if it was today, there would be like a church of Columbia and a church of New Waterford. So they took regions, and the churches was just the church of that region. There wasn't denominations or anything like that. It was just the church of that region. And there were seven main churches that John was writing these letters to by the, by the instruction of the Holy Spirit. And in each one of these letters... Um, or in many of these letters, he says this phrase. He says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, John's writing the book of Revelation from the island of Patmos. And the island of Patmos, what it is, is it is this small, stony, harsh island that Rome would send their um, prisoners to. And most of the people that are on the island of Patmos are serving out a life sentence. It was essentially this little rocky island. They gave them little resources, and you basically just lived on this rocky island until eventually you died. 
And that's the position that John is in. He's on this small, stony island with limited resources, alone um, with other criminals, and he is, he is left there essentially to die. And the Holy Spirit meets John there. What's amazing is John is on the island of Patmos for sharing the gospel. He's on the island of Patmos because he was sharing the gospel and the Roman Empire started to become worried about the movement that was happening because of what John had to say. John was a fisherman, a fisherman who met Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit. And this fisherman who met Jesus and got filled with the Holy Spirit was sharing a gospel that was so powerful that it was challenging literally the greatest empire that ever existed still today. The Roman Empire is the greatest empire that ever existed. And a fisherman who met Jesus and got filled with the gospel was challenging the greatest empire that ever existed so much that they had to put him on an island in order to slow the movement. How powerful was that? How powerful was the gospel? How powerful was a simple person who meets Jesus and is filled with the Holy Spirit? The greatest empire in the world. Nations couldn't stand against the empire of Rome. Kings couldn't stand against the empire of Rome. Nobody challenged the empire of Rome, but the gospel did. And it was so powerful that it started to come in and challenge the culture of the Roman Empire. So, so much so that they become a, became afraid that if this movement continued, it would literally overtake the Roman Empire. The greatest empire that ever existed. That's how powerful the gospel is. And that's why John's sitting on an island. And they put John in a place where they said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to isolate you to a little island with a bunch of criminals so I could slow this movement. And the Lord encounters him in this place where he's supposed to, the movement's supposed to be being slowed. And, and, and through John, he releases one of the greatest prophetic words that's ever been released in the history of the world, in the book of Revelation. And God's literally saying, you literally can't slow down this movement. You can't, literally, you can't slow down the gospel. When, when, when I say it's going to move, it's going to move. And you could put somebody in the middle of nowhere all by themselves. And when I say the gospel is moving, the gospel is moving forward. It's forging. The kingdom is moving forward. Whether the world wants to stop it or not, whether the enemy wants to stop it or not, the kingdom is moving forward. And John is evidence of that because he sat on an abandoned island and he wrote, wrote the greatest prophecy, one of the greatest prophecies that's ever been written in the book of Revelation from an island where he was supposed to be slowed down, where the gospel was supposed to be hindered. Amazing. Well, I got a lot of notes here. We're, we are not moving quickly. That's all right. Chili, you guys will stay for the chili. <laughs> now, uh, John's writing these things, and, and, and the Lord gives him these instructions, and he says, I want you to first write to these seven letters to the church, and John writes these seven letters to these pillar churches in that area. And then after John has written these seven letters to the church, the scripture says that John looks up, and he's taken into the spirit, into the throne room, into heaven. In other words, he's taken, in order, he's taken to a place where he could see what's unseen, into the throne room of heaven. And he sees God's glory and he sees Jesus as the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world. He sees what has been accomplished through Jesus 
and, and, and then there's these scrolls that are, are presented, and, and he starts crying out because nobody can open the scrolls, but Jesus can open the scrolls. And as they start to un- open the scrolls, what these scrolls are is these scrolls are testifying of these events that are released from heaven that affect the earth that are leading to the end times, right? So John is, is, is seeing what is, ha- what is going to happen, these events. But here's the thing that I want to show you. These events are events that are released from the unseen realm, but they're not for the unseen realm. They're for this realm. They're for the earth. They're for us. And we live today, what we live in, and we live in, whether you, here's the thing, whether you believe we're in the last days, we're in the last phase, right? Whether or not you, you think that these are the last days, everybody has a different opinion on, on, on that, and that's okay. We are in the last phase. Jesus has come, died on a cross, raised from the dead. The Spirit has been poured out on the church, and the only thing that's left to do is Jesus' return. And we're living in it. And it could happen at any moment. It could happen today. It could happen at any moment. We are living in the last phase of this thing. The last phase of this redemption story that that the Lord wrote before the beginning of time, we're living in it. There's no more steps to come after this. It's just Jesus, it's the trumpet blows, Jesus turns, we live with him in glory. That's it. And we're living in the covenant grace that's initiated by the blood of Jesus. We're living in the post-Pentecost church where the Spirit has been poured out on the church. Not that he just has been poured out on the church. He continues to be poured out on the church. That's what we experienced last week, these little moments where the Spirit is poured out on the church. This continues to happen and will continue to happen until the, the, the time when Jesus returns. We're living in those moments. And Jesus is still... The Lord is still on his throne, releasing instruction in heaven, releasing instruction, direction, plans from heaven, and they are literally breaking through here on earth right now. Right now, as I'm standing up here speaking, I'm talking about, right now, as I'm standing here speaking, God is on the throne, and he's turning to his angels, and he's saying, I've heard the prayers of my people, now go, go. I've heard the prayers of that little girl. Now go. I heard the prayers of that mother for that prodigal. Now go. And he's literally right now, as I'm speaking, he's releasing answers from heaven, from glory. And these answers are not just for the spiritual realm. These answers are for the earth. He's literally releasing these breakthrough things that are coming to the earth because of our prayers. The prayers of the saints as they raise to heaven, the Lord is saying, go, and the angels are taking and breaking through here on earth, and things are changing here on earth. And, but here's the thing, just as heaven is releasing these restoration plans from the throne right now, we also have an enemy that is also releasing plans for destruction. He's, he's trying to thwart and misdirect what the Lord is releasing from heaven for us right now. That's what's happening. The truth is, is that we live in the middle of spiritual warfare. We're in it. And it's not, this is not just some charismatic belief. This is literally a biblical truth. It's a biblical truth that we live in the middle of spiritual warfare. And here's the truth, here's the truth. If you have ever prayed a prayer in your life, then it's because you believe that there is a spiritual realm where God exists that can affect the natural world, right? And that's all that spiritual warfare is. 
It's to believe that there's a realm of the unseen that can change and affect what we see here on earth. If you've ever prayed a prayer in your life, it's because you believe that. Sometimes we avoid these, sometimes we think that spiritual warfare is just for that crazy lady, you know what I'm saying? That's, you guys know who I'm talking about, you know? But, but sometimes we think that it's just for that, but actually it's for all of us. Because it's not something that you sign up for, it's something that's happening all around you at all times. We're a part of it. Because God's plans for restorations are not plans for restoration for a spiritual realm. They're plans for restoration for a physical realm. For us. For here. And, and the, the spiritual warfare, ultimately what spiritual warfare is, is spiritual warfare is just a battle between truth and deception. We, all, we often we think of, of deception as just this stark contrast to truth, right? The opposite of truth. And actually what deception is, is a, deception oftentimes, and we'll see, see this biblically, oftentimes it looks a lot like truth. It looks a lot like it. And we've got to have ears to hear what the Lord is saying. We've got to have ears to hear. The scripture says that God's word is truth and Satan is an enemy of truth. And what his focus is, his focus is with, on withholding the word of God from taking up reign in your mind and in your heart. That's what he's trying to do. We have a real enemy that is really deploying plans that's trying to, 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 to prevent God's word from taking up reign in your mind and in your heart. And here's why. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 and 5 says this, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since, since weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The battle between truth and deception is a battle over your mind. And the reason that the enemy is trying to slow the word of God from taking up any type of residency in your mind and your heart is because the truth is what destroys him. The truth is what overpowers him. It literally destroys his strongholds. The truth is. And so he's in battle constantly, forever, against the truth because the truth is what destroys him. The truth taking up residency, the word of God taking up residency in your mind and in your heart is what has the power to overcome him, to overcome our enemy. Here's the good news. The good news is that God is not a God of confusion. In scripture, when he wants to do anything, you know what he did? He said it plainly to anybody who had ears to hear. When, when, when the Lord was going to flood the earth, you know what he did? He went to the one man who had ears to hear and he said, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth build a boat. He didn't give him a riddle. He didn't make some confusing statement and Noah had to sit down and connect the dots and work this plan out. He didn't. He went to Noah, the one man who had ears to hear, and he said, I'm going to flood the earth, build a boat. When he wanted to set the Israelites free from Egypt, you know what he did? He went to the one man who had ears to hear. He went to Moses and he said, I'm going to set the Israelites free. Now go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. That's what he did. He spoke plainly and clearly to whoever had ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. 
even when the Lord spoke in parables and metaphors, even in those moments, it wasn't that he wasn't speaking clearly. It's that he was speaking clearly for a time and a place that maybe wasn't in that time, right? There was going to be a time and a place where the things that maybe seemed like they weren't clear were going to become clear. And then there's the other side of this, and this is what the enemy does. Let me just show you in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the true, uh, the fruit, the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delightful to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The scripture describes Satan like he's describing a serpent. He describes as crafty. And the word crafty, the definition of the word crafty is clever at achieving one's aim by indirect or deceitful methods. Clever at achieving one's aim by indirect or deceitful methods. What's interesting about this is if you were to remove the negative connotation, the negative cloud that seems to surround that word crafty, the definition would actually sound a lot like wise. Actually, in other, the, the, the Hebrew word here that's written is, is arum, and, what the, and that word is translated as crafty, is arum. And actually, in other places in Scripture, in the book of Proverbs, there's a few places where it's translated as prudent, which doesn't have that negative cloud on it. And the, and the, and the translators, they're reading this, they're reading this story, and they're seeing the negative cloud, and they're, and they're essentially uh, giving this word two different, translating this word two different ways, crafty and prudent. What this means is it means that Satan is a good liar. He's a good liar. And notice what he does here to, to, to Eve. He starts off and he, he says to Eve, did God really say? Did God really say? You know what he starts to do? He starts to till up the soil in Eve's mind and her heart where he's going to place the seed of deception. What he's doing, he's tilling up that ground and he's making it soft so that he can place that seed of deception in Eve's heart. And we still hear this same phrase today. He still works in the same ways today because I can't tell you how many times I've sat and talked to a lot of times other Christians that are feeling, have felt conviction of the Holy Spirit and in order to fight against that conviction, they say things like this, does the Bible really say Does the Bible really say that? And then the truth is, is that that God's word testifies to a living God's heart. And the living God's heart, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, testifies of God. So Satan, or Eve answers Satan, he says, does God really say that we should not eat, that you cannot eat any tree of the fruit? I keep mixing these ones up. Any fruit of the tree of the garden. And Eve says, no, he didn't say that. He said that we can't eat of this tree or else we will die. 
And this is what Satan says. He says, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Here's, here's what the enemy does. First, he starts to till the soil and he starts to say, I'm going to uh, prepare the ground for the seed of deception. And then, and then after he's tilled the ground and he's planted the seed of deception, what he does is he tries to convince us that God is withholding something good from us. That the God who created us for the purpose of love is withholding something good from us. And when you say it like that, it sounds really silly, and it is silly, but he deceives us in that manner. And many of us, many of us have in our, in our lives have had moments where we've fallen into patterns of sin. And the reason we've fallen into patterns of sin is because of this very thing. Right? Because we start to believe that the Lord is withholding something good from us. The one who created us for the sake of love is withholding something good from us. I've fallen into this trap many times in my life. Many times. Where I've started to believe the lie that God is withholding something good from me. And I need to explore this thing or, this, or do this thing in order to obtain something good that the Lord is trying to withhold from me. Because this is the way that Satan works. He tries to convince us that happiness is right on the other side of the poison that he's selling. And that's why he often meets us in our despair. He meets us in these moments where we're desperate for comfort, we're desperate for purpose, we're de desperate for happiness, we're desperate for peace, we're desperate for joy, and what he sells us is he sells us the image of all of those things. The image without the substance. He sells us the image without the substance. He sells us the image of peace. He sells us the image of joy. He sells us the image of identity. He sells us the image of purpose without the substance of any of those things. And here's where we get trapped. The scripture says that Eve looked and she saw the tree was the delight to the eyes and desirable. And this is why this is so important for us to have ears to hear what the Lord is saying. Because the, what the enemy is going to offer you is going to be a delight to your eyes and desirable. It's going to be a delight to your eyes and it's going to be desirable. desirable. And it's going to lead to death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says that Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. He disguised himself as an angel of light. He doesn't come, um, what we often think of, we, we have kind of this caveman mentality where we think like, God good, Satan bad. You know what I'm saying? And everything that's bad, we attribute to Satan. Everything that's good, that makes us feel good, we attribute to Jesus. And that's just not the truth. There are times where what Satan is going to offer us, he's going to try to offer us things that have bear the image of goodness that lead us to destruction. Right? It's going to bear the image of peace and it's going to lead us to destruction. It's going to bear the image of purpose and identity and it's going to lead us to destruction. We learn in Scripture what led Satan to be who he is to us. Because Satan wasn't created as just this, um, this evil being. He was actually created as just a divine angel. And he lived in the realm of glory, worshiping God. And it, except Satan, and just like all angels and just like humanity, have a certain degree of free will. Angels have a certain degree of free will. 
And, and the reason for that is because free will is the necessary foundation for love. It's necessary. You take away free, li- free will and you don't have love. It's, free will is the necessary foundation for love. And so angels have some degree of free will and he becomes prideful in his heart, wants to be God and, and, and essentially tries to overthrow God in heaven and he's cast down. It's an utter failure. So he takes up residence here on earth. And this is, listen, his plan has not changed. His plan is now to, to withhold heaven from earth by destroying the bearers of the image of heaven, which is the image of Jesus the body of Christ. Because God created us to bear, bear his image here on earth. And, and, and God's glory and his presence is what makes heaven heaven. Absence of God, absent of God's presence, heaven is just a place. Heaven is heaven because of the glory of God resides there. And, and, and the enemy's plan after being cast down from heaven is to destroy heaven from here on earth by destroying the bearers of the image of heaven, which is you. This is my favorite part, but Jesus. Colossians 2.15 says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In the scripture, Satan is called the accuser. And you know how Jesus triumphs over Satan? He yields his sword of the cross and he separates us from our sins and casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. And who can the accuser accuse of something that's been cast off of me? The accuser can't come and accuse me of something that Jesus' blood has washed me of. He can't accuse me of something that Jesus' blood has washed me of. Our victory is sealed in the blood of Jesus. It's sealed in the cross. His love has permanently, permanently cast your sins off of you. As far as the east is from the west, he separated them from you. When the father looks at you, he sees the blood of his son. And here's the thing. Our enemy knows that he can't stand toe to toe with God. Sometimes we see, you know, we see these pictures on Facebook and it's this picture of like this ugly Satan standing there like in a fighting position with God. I promise you he's not doing that. He would get crushed and he knows it. He will get crushed. He has been crushed and he knows it. And he knows it. He's not standing toe to toe with our God. Satan is not standing toe to toe with God. He is not an equal but opposite. All right? Not even close. Not even in the same realm. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to come in and he's going to try to, um, he's going to try to thwart and misdirect the will of God in our lives by just one degree. Minor compromises. That's what Satan's after. That's what he's after in your heart and that's what he's after in your life. Minor compromises. Minor compromises. Because let me tell you something. One degree, one degree off is nothing. It's barely noticeable. It's barely, your friends won't even know. Your family probably won't even know. Won't even know that wonder you're off. But life is a projection. Our faith is a projection. It goes, it's a journey and it goes towards the heart of the Father. And one degree off will matter. It will matter. Let me just give you a visual example. If I took off in an airplane from the parking lot here with the intent to fly directly, a direct circle around the earth, and my compass was one degree off, I'd end up in North Carolina. 
Because one degree off matters. We'll land a long ways from home if we're just one degree off. That's not to say that the Lord's grace doesn't draw us right back into his will. But Satan's plan is always to just draw us a little bit off track. Minor compromises. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is this young priest and he's living during the time uh, when Judah it has been separated. Israel has essentially been split into two territories, the northern territory of Israel, the southern territory of Judah. And, um, and both territories are consumed by rebellion against the Lord and pagan idol worship. That's what they're consumed by. And it would be easy for us, you know, as, as, as we know the Lord and we know how, how God had blessed Israel in the early days, it would be easy for us to say, how does Israel get to that point, right? God is about to, to, to destroy them, send them into exile, and wreck the city that, that he once called his own. Why, why, how did they get to that point? And if you backtrack a little bit and you go to King Solomon's life, when, king Sol- when Solomon became king after David died, the Lord came to him and said, ask me of anything, Solomon, and I'll give it to you. And he said, make me wise because I literally, I don't know how to lead these people. I don't know how to lead this nation. And, he, and the Lord said, because you asked for wisdom, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to make you prosper. There's some requirements to this blessing that I'm releasing to you. And one of the requirements is, is that I don't want you to marry foreign women because they will cause you to turn your hearts from me to their pagan idols. And, and Solomon lived in a time where he was known as the wisest man that ever lived. And Israel grew in prosperity in a more rapid pace than any nation that had ever existed. The blessing was poured out. And then Sol- Solomon married foreign women and his heart was turned from the Lord. But here's the thing. The impact wasn't immediately felt in Israel. Israel didn't immediately collapse upon Solomon's minor compromise. It was just one degree. Solomon was still very, very wise. And Israel was still very, very prosperous. But Solomon's minor compromise changed the projection of Israel, an entire nation. And now Jeremiah's living in a time when 300 years later, where, there, where the whole entire country, the whole entire territory is completely consumed by pagan idol worship, which is exactly what the Lord said would happen exactly what the Lord said would happen because one man was just a small margin off, just a little bit off. In, in Jeremiah's day, the Lord comes to Jeremiah and he says, you're going to be a mouthpiece for me. I'm going to speak to my people through you. And I need you to just say exactly what I tell you to say. And the land was so consumed and so uh, rebellious. It was so full of, of, of its own pride that even the prophets in the land of Israel, even they prophesied out of pride. This is what Jeremiah chapter 23 says in verse 16 and 17. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster shall come upon you. 
Now here's the thing, in Jeremiah chapter 29, just a few chapters after this, the Lord prophesies through Jeremiah and he says something that is very common to us. Many of us have heard, if you spend any time in church, he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your wellness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Here's what the, here's what the Lord is saying to Israel. He's saying, my plan for you is to give you life. But in order for me to give you life, I'm going to destroy everything inside of you that gives you the image of life without the substance of life. Right? I'm going to destroy everything inside of you. I'm going to destroy your land. I'm going to, I'm going to take you away. I'm going to destroy everything that gives you the image of life because my purpose for you is to give you authentic, real, true life. And sometimes the Lord has to do that in our own heart. He's done it in mine. He's done it in my life where I had things in my life that I, uh, that I felt like gave me life. And the Lord said, in order for me to give you real life, what I have to do is I'm going to come in and I'm going to wreck what you think is life. <laughs> and I've been there. My salvation comes out of a time like that. My salvation came out of a time, my, my relationship with the Lord came out of a time where I thought I had, I had the image of life. And the Lord said, I'm coming and I'm going to wreck that image for you. And then I'm going to give you real life. What the Lord is saying to, to, to Israel, to Judah, is he's saying, I, uh, this is the only way that this works. There's a, there's a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to destruction. There's only two ways. He literally t- tells Judah, if you stay and fight for the land, you will die. But if you go into exile, I will protect you, I will help you, and I will deliver you back into my land and you will be my people again. That's what he says to them. But if you stay and fight for the land, you will die. And what the rest of the prophets were saying in that time, the rest of the prophets were saying to Judah, they were saying, listen, God will protect us. He always has protected us. Stay and fight. The Lord is going to give our enemies over to us. And the Lord is saying, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. It sounds good. It tickles your ears, but it's not true. And it will lead to your death. In, the, in Jeremiah's day, there was, I make up this number, a hundred different voices speaking, but only one of them was the Lord's. And today we live in a day where billions of voices are speaking to us, and one of them is the Lord's. And we have to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. In, in Jeremiah's day, uh, there was many people who who believed the prophets who said, no disaster is going to come upon you, which by the way, sounds an awful lot like, surely you will not die. Because that lie is echoed right here in Jeremiah when the prophets start start to prophesy falsely and their their prophecy is, you will surely not be destroyed. You will surely not die. This is the echo. This is is the echo of Satan's original uh, temptation to Eve. Surely you will not die. It's the echo of the original lie. And this is the same thing that the the enemy does to us today. He tells us, surely you will not die. It's not going to destroy you. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to lead to your destruction. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that bad. Minor compromises, it's not that big of a deal. He does the same thing to us today. And, And to be honest with you, this is an easy trap to fall into. And I think that's the reason when Jesus was leaving his disciples, he said, it's actually better for me to go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. I'm going to send the helper to be with you. And this is what 
First Corinthians chapter two says about the Holy Spirit. These things God revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes into our heart and He teaches us. He helps us to discern and and be able to comprehend between the fruit that is good to eat and the fruit that is delightful to the eyes and desirable but poisonous. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to discern between those things. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to discern between good and the image of good without any substance. The, the truth is, is that we discern fruit by the root because a poisonous root will produce a poisonous fruit, but you can't see the root. But the Holy Spirit is able to see into the realm that we can't see to discern whether this, this is rooted in poison and rooted in deception or it's rooted in truth. And he's the one that helps us to understand those things. I read this, I read this article recently and it was about uh, lion tamers. And I don't know if you know this, but lion tamers, they only have two tools that they use. They use a whip and they use a stool. And if you were just going to throw me before I knew this, if you were just going to throw me into a den with a lion and you said I could only have one of those two tools, I'm saying, give me the whip and let's see what happens. You know what I'm saying? I would have died a very quick and painful death because the most valuable tool that a lion tamer has is actually a stool. Now let me tell you a little bit about lions because this is this is really amazing. Lions have a, a bite force that could literally crush a heavy steel plate. They can run 50 miles an hour and jump 10 feet straight up in the air. That's literally as tall as a basketball hoop. That's how high they could jump straight up in the air. They could lift 2,300 pounds off the ground. That's a car they could lift off the ground. Lions are literally, the reason they call them the king of the jungle is because they have no predators. They are absolute killing machines. But for all of the strengths that a lion has, it has one weakness. And that one weakness is, is that when that lion tamer turns his stool legs forward towards the lion, a lion has to be able to focus on what it's going to attack. It has to be able to find focus. And what it does is it tries to focus on all four legs at once and it freezes. And you know what I think? I think that Satan does the same thing to us. Because the Spirit of God has, has come to live inside of us. And, and, and the Spirit of God lives inside of Jesus. They call him the Lion of Judah. And I, and, and I think that Jesus knew that he would be called the Lion of Judah when he was creating the lion. And he said, I'm going to create this killing machine. This thing is going to be the king of the jungle. It's going to be... There's going to be no predators after this thing. And, he's, and, and he created that lion in order, in order that that lion would someday be a reflection of his glory, of his intelligence. And what the enemy does to us is he fills our life with distractions so that we can't focus enough to hear the voice of the Lord because when we start to hear the voice of the Lord and hear the truth, we become a weapon against him and his kingdom. And so what he does is he turns the stool to us and he feeds us distractions, hoping that we would spend enough of our time distracted that we would miss what's happening around us. The 
the truth is, and I, and I am guilty as anybody of this, is we spend much of our day being intentionally distracted, right? We, we walk around the grocery store staring at our phone or, or you know, we, we see somebody that, that might know us and we act like we're talking to somebody on the phone because we're, we're trying to avoid them, right? We do all these things. We spend most of our time just trying to intentionally distract ourselves. And meanwhile, the kingdom of God is literally moving around you. Like, think about that. Heaven is forging its way forward while we're intentionally distracting ourselves from it. And this is the way that the enemy has, 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 has diminished what we have the power and the authority to do to him by distracting us, by filling our mind with distraction. So we'll spend all of our time walking around like this. And there's people walking by us, right? Right as we're walking around, staring at our phone, there's literally people walking by us. The Lord has prepared their heart for exactly what's inside of us. We're literally the catalyst that could change their life forever. Glory literally is meant to flow through us, and we're walking by them, intentionally distracting ourselves from what's walking around us. Intentionally distracting ourselves from what's happening around us. And the enemy wants wants to do that to us. And the Lord desires for glory to literally flow through us. Like, we're literally the gateway to heaven, to the earth. We're the gateway in which glory flows through. We're the gateway in which lives are changed by the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He wants us to be aware, have ears to hear. So we walk through our life present with the Lord, knowing that at any moment he could put somebody in our path, that he's prepared their heart for this exact moment, and he's going to change not just their life, he's going to change their eternity forever. And that's what he wants to do to us. That's what he wants to do through us, and it takes us, it requires us not being distracted. It requires us having ears to hear what the Lord is saying to be present with the Lord, to be present with the Lord when you're at home with your family, to be present with the Lord when you're at work, to be present with the Lord when you're at school, to be present with the Lord when you're at the grocery store or out shopping, you're walking through the streets, to be present with the Lord, to not to be intentionally distracted, to not be consumed with distraction. Here's the thing, Satan doesn't have to make you into a horrible person in order for you to miss massive massive moments of glory. All he has to do is distract you enough for you to not notice what he wants to do. That's all he has to do is distract you enough for you to not notice what the Lord wants to do. Send enough voices your way that you can't hear the one that matters. This would be my encouragement for you as, as, as you go out of here. We have a word for this year that is very, that is literally coming alive around us. I mean, and I mean that in the most absolute sense. It is coming alive around us. Invite the stranger in is literally happening right now. As we're having service, it is happening right now. And the Lord is saying, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Do you have ears to hear what I'm saying? Because there's, a, there's hundreds of people that are going to flow through the thousands of people probably that are going to flow in and out of these doors here. And we're going to have the opportunity to, to, to be aware of what the Spirit is doing. And, and they're literally walking into our home. And we're able to say, I have the glory. I have the answer for that fear that's inside of you. 
I, I have the answer for that anxiety that's inside of you. No, you've come in here looking for, for a, a, an argument, but I'm going to actually address you with a smile and love. You're going to walk into a presence and a glory that you haven't felt before. Things are going to change here. We are having that opportunity. The Lord is serious about this. He's serious about this. He's serious about the opportunities that he's putting in your life. He, you are going to have divine encounters in your life, in your daily walk divine encounters that where the Lord, you're going to walk away from it and you're going to say only the Lord can orchestrate that. Only the Lord can orchestrate that random conversation in the grocery store. Only the Lord can orchestrate that random conversation in school or at work. Only the Lord can orchestrate that. But it will only happen if you're not distracted. It will only happen if you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Right? Because we can't manipulate what, we can't manipulate a move of the Spirit. Right? We can't create it. We can't manipulate it. We can only be obedient to it. It's the only thing we can do. We have to have ears to hear what the Lord is saying. Be intentional about getting alone with the Lord. Intentionally removing distraction. Be intentional this week about setting aside distraction. Be intentional about not being intentionally distracted. Being aware of what the Lord might want to do. Being aware of people that are in our path. People that are in our path at the grocery store, at work, at school, wherever you go. Be intentional about intentionally not being distracted. Listening to what the Lord's saying. Be intentional about being present with the Lord. I'm going to finish with this verse and then I'm going to pray for you. I'll say this, um, uh, uh, if, you, if you need prayer, if maybe you're in here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you want to do that today, we can help you. We'd love to tell you about Jesus. And, and maybe you're a part of this church and, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you are literally, when the disciples walked the earth, they went into, um, they went into cities and they started calling them Christians. What Christian means, it means little Christ. They didn't walk into to, to, uh, these cities and they started calling them fans of Jesus. They didn't call them Jesus' groupies. They called them little Christs because they started, they had spent time enough with, with, with the one that they started to look like him. They started to act like him. They started to talk like him. If you have the opportunity to share Jesus with somebody here today, do it. Be aware. Be aware. I believe that the Lord wants to move in here today. John chapter 10, verse 27 says this. Jesus says this. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus, we love you. We honor you and we worship you. We thank you that you died on a cross to save us, that you sent your spirit to live inside of us, that you still speak to us today, Lord. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. God, as we go out of this room, we pray for divine encounters. As we intentionally remove distraction. We pray for divine encounters that you would open doors for us to share of your love and your glory with strangers that we may not even know. We pray that you would do what only you could do, that spirit, you would break through.
in everything that happens, Lord, and everything that we experience, we give you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. We love you, Jesus, and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. want to let everybody know that yeah, the people in there are already being served. So, uh, so what I want to what I want to make sure is we pr- I'm going to pray for all of us in here. Pray for the food. I want to make sure that uh, if you're from East Palestine, if you were displaced, I want you to go first. I also I think there's a I think near as I can tell because I try to do a quick scan through the room. I think there's probably about a dozen of you. It might be more because there's a couple of families here I don't know. Uh, but about a dozen of you that fit that description that I know were displaced. There's also about 10 widows in this room that were not necessarily displaced, but I want to make sure our widows uh, go in there and get served. Uh, from what I'm told, there's plenty of food. The Lord's already provided it. So uh, so I, I got that message. So, um, you know, this message is so relevant because, uh, you know, scriptures say we see in part we also hear in part but you never know you know you never know when you put out a word what the holy spirit has in mind and uh we have to keep pressing into here i'm so grateful that he showed us so clearly what we're supposed to be about uh, we, don't, we don't take any credit for that he did that we just have to have ears to hear and everything we do is to make sure that we are that we're listening so we're going to pray. And then again, I want families from East Palestine who are displaced and other, any other families from East Palestine to f- kind of follow them up uh, because you're close enough to be affected by it. And others that may be outside of East Palestine who are affected by it, please go next. But there's plenty of food, so we're not going to run out. Uh, and, then, and then our widows, make sure our widows get served. Uh, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're, you are so good. I'm so thankful so thankful for this word to us today just keep refining our hearing keep showing us things that we need to do to be able to hear clearly what your instructions are and i know the foundation of that is the word of god so keep us planted in your scriptures because that's where it all starts i pray your hand on this place as we just get to love on people and love one another. Let even that, our love for one another, be a ministry to people who are watching us. That we're loving and caring one another in tangible and real ways, and it's real. It's not anything that we put on. We genuinely care about one another because we're part of your body. You've done the work. You've done this. So I pray your hand on all of this. Be glorified in each one of us today. I echo Shane's 
prayer that uh, if somebody doesn't know Jesus, that today, whatever that looks like, whether it's right now at the end of this service, if it's through a conversation over a bowl of chili, that uh, someone surrenders, doesn't matter the setting, or if it's privately in your home at some point later today, where you just cry out and say, Lord, I don't know what this is all about, but I want to, because I need hope, I need encouragement, I need peace, I need reassurance, I need this kind of love. So whatever that looks like, pray you'll orchestrate it just exactly how you intend it to be. Just speak your peace over everybody as we go out of here. Just be glorified in all of this in Jesus' name. We'll have a little bit of worship here at the end. Uh,